Uh, we're going to walk through this text verse by verse. I want to encourage you to get out something to write with uh, or pull out your phone. I want to give you two questions. As we kind of work through the text this morning, I want you to write these questions down and I want you to answer them kind of as we go along. Um, first question is this. Uh, what is God speaking to you in the text? What is God speaking to you in this text? Second question is this. Where is he inviting you into deeper faith and participation? First question, what is God speaking to you in this text? Second question, where is he inviting you into deeper faith and participation? So this morning, we're going to wrestle with these two questions as we take communion. We're going to talk about them in house churches. I hope that we find ourselves talking about this with our families and our friends throughout the week. And I just reminded this week that um, let's not let the words of Jesus escape us ever. And uh, so this morning, starting in verse 1, Mark chapter 2. It says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Have you ever been in a house that was so full that no one else could get in? Uh, I remember four years ago, Mumford and Sons uh, was in Nashville. They were in Nashville working on a new album, writing and doing that kind of stuff. And I remember Courtney and I were um, laying in bed. I think it was on a Friday night. It might have been on a Saturday night. We were laying in bed. And I remember our Twitter feed just blew up um, as every single one of our friends had just found out that Mufford and Sons was doing this um, house um, concert at one of our buddies' old houses. <laughs> Literally, like they set up shop in the living room and were playing. And it was like every single one of our friends was going there and they were texting. And it's like this mass exodus of Nashville to this person's house. And I remember as I was thinking about this text this morning that, that we're going to be in, I just kept thinking about that picture of what it's like to be in a room so crowded, there's no room for anyone else to get in, that, that the person or the thing that has drawn you there was so dynamic, so magnetic, that, that you'd cancel your plans to, to be there. And I love in Mark chapter 2, uh, Jesus has just come back to Capernaum. He finds himself in this living room, and the people from the city are flocking to him. And I love that it says that Jesus preached the word to them. Another way of saying this is that he spoke to them about God, about who God is and what God was doing. I realized this week, it's like Jesus never missed an opportunity to talk about God. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, isn't it amazing when we get to have a deep, meaningful conversation with people about God? Like, aren't those moments just like special and sweet? When we get to talk to people that we care about, about the ways that we see God working and moving and speaking. And I was just reminded this week, man, as followers of Jesus, may we follow in all of his ways. May we press into these opportunities that he gets us. I'm, I'm betting that we won't find ourselves too often in the exact situation where people will come to our house and they'll be so shoulder to shoulder that no one else can come in. But I bet that we'll find ourselves in so many places and opportunities but we'll have the opportunity to talk about what God is doing. And as followers of Jesus, let's be just like him. Let's press into those moments that he gives to us. Verse three, 
some men came bringing to Jesus a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. And then they lowered the mat the man was lying on. And so I want us to notice two different people in this picture, in this story. The first is um, the, the man on the mat. And the second people, a group of people I want us to notice is the friends. And so the man on the mat, we don't know very much about him. Bible doesn't tell us his name. We don't know how long he'd been paralyzed. I don't know if he was born that way or if it was some accident that happened later in life that made him this way. We don't know anything about him. We don't know anything about his character, <laughs> what he did on the weekends, what football team he cheered for. But what we know from this story is that he was incapable of helping himself. He couldn't change his situation. Then in this story, this man was keenly aware of his powerlessness. I go, can we relate to that? Like, can you relate to that? Have you ever had something going on in your life where you just realized that you were absolutely powerless? No matter how much you wanted to, you realized that it was not in your power, your ability to change? Can you relate? I think sometimes we see this in the physical world. Sometimes we see this like in our emotional well-being. Sometimes we see it in spiritual aspects. And so I think about in the physical. And I just think about a couple weeks ago when we found out about Lila Grace, the little girl from our church, two and a half years old, that got diagnosed with cancer. And I'm telling you, every time that Luke sends out a blog post, I just cry. And I think about this little girl who is um, wrestling with cancer. I think about Finley. And I pray and I, and I realize, man, there's nothing that I can do to fix that little girl. Luke and Sarah wrestle with this constantly. There's nothing they can do to fix their little girl. We experience this in the physical world, our powerlessness. We experience this in our emotional well-being. And so have you ever noticed out, maybe you've had depression or you've had a friend that has depression or your spouse, have you ever noticed how that, that thing will just suck the life out of you for a long time? One of my good friends, she struggled with depression for several years and I remember just every time I would talk to her and every time I'd correspond back and forth with her email or every time I'd man, just think about her, I just was aware that there's nothing I could do about her situation. Sometimes we experience this in the spiritual world. Have you ever realized how wicked your heart really is? <laughs> you ever noticed just the patterns in your life, the sin, the selfishness, the envy, the you name whatever it is for you? You ever come to a moment in your life where you realize that you did not have it in your ability to change even though you wanted to? Sometimes we experience this with our kids or our best friend or our spouses. They rebel against God, and no matter what you say, no, how, no matter how often you pray, you're just aware of your powerlessness. Have you ever had a moment where you need others, where you need their faith to carry you to Jesus? You ever had a moment where you need others to help you, to carry you? This was the man on the mat. He was powerless but he was being carried by his friends. I love that the second group of people that we see in this beautiful story, the friends, and I was talking to Dave this week, and I love this line that he said. I just wrote this down, so if you tweet this, you need to quote Dave, not me. He says, this is one of the most tangible, most compelling pictures 
of what it means to be a community of faith in all the Bible, what we see here in Mark 2. And I don't want us to miss this because this is what it is. This community of friends, they have an unwavering relentlessness to get this man to Jesus. They have an unwavering relentlessness to get this guy to Jesus. And I love this, and I was moved by this so much this week that these guys are willing to do whatever it takes to get their friends to Jesus, no matter what it costs, no matter what obstacle they face. Let's put this in our context. I think it's easy to read this and for it just to seem like this distant old story. You know, I knew Mark and Allison were going to be here, so I wrote you guys in my notes to use you as an example. Um, like, could you guys imagine hosting house church on Tuesday night? You're in the middle of talking through Mark 2. You're in the middle of praying. And all of a sudden, Molly and Bradley show up with their house church, and they're on your roof. And they're tearing off your shingles. <laughs> and you look out your window, and they have extension cords that they're plugging in to your external outlets, and they are firing up their circular saws. And you realize that they're not just tearing off your shingles, but they're cutting holes in your rafters. <laughs> They're pulling out the insulation. They're punching holes through the drywall and dust is going everywhere and debris is falling on people's heads. And I go, this is what's happening in Mark 2. It's what's happening. And it's so often and so easily to miss this. I go, but I want us to know this, that the, these friends, they, they pick up their friend and they carry him to the place they know Jesus is. They carry him to the place that they know Jesus is. And you can just imagine what they're thinking. Today is the day our friend gets better. Today is the day that our friend meets Jesus and experiences his power. You see these friends, they had heard about the things that Jesus had been doing in Capernaum, how, how demons had been driven out and fevers had been reduced and how sick people had been made well. And you can just imagine the joy and the anticipation in these hearts as they looked at who Jesus was and what he had done. As they picked up their friend, you can imagine the hope that they had in their eyes and their hearts that today their friend gets better. Can you imagine? And so they carry him to the house and they get to the house and they look around and it's packed. They try to push through people to get through the front door, but people have got too good of a seat. They're not going to let anyone through, get anyone closer than them. And so you can just imagine the friends going, well, looking at the guy who's paralyzed. We can't get to him. Sorry, maybe some other time. No, that's not what they say. And I love that they, they don't wait around for Jesus to get through. Like They don't wait for him to get through preaching his sermon and for everyone else to leave to get to Jesus. They understand that Jesus Christ is close and that their friend is in need. And you can just hear their conversation. The wild, the adventurous one. The one who doesn't consider consequences. Consequences, I don't know what consequences are. <laughs> You can just imagine him going, hey, what about the roof? <laughs> and the logical one's going, do you know how much that's going to cost us? <laughs> and another one of the friends, you can just hear him saying, we'll deal with that later. Jesus is here. And we're talking about freedom for our friend. And I love this because their friend's freedom their friend meeting Jesus meant more to them than anything. I kept, kept, kept thinking this week, can you imagine all the fears, like all the what ifs that, that passed through these guys' minds? 
What if Jesus is angry for us interrupting his sermon? More than likely, these guys had not ever met Jesus. They didn't know what he was like. It's like, like if you interrupted my sermon, how do you think I would react? Many of you have no idea. You don't really know me. It's like, these guys are taking a big chance. What if he's angry at us for interrupting? Or, or what if Jesus does absolutely nothing and we look like a bunch of morons and we're out a bunch of money? What is the owner of the house going to think? What's Allison going to think? What if everyone else gathered is angry at us? What if they were in need of Jesus too? And I love that the fear of the unknown, it did not cripple them. No, the deep love for their friend, their desire for his freedom moved them past all their fears to get him to the only one who can make him well. And I love this story because these men are so admirable. Like I want to like just be around these guys and be blessed by their faith. And, but I think although these guys are meant to be admired for their deep faith, their example is meant to be invitational. That you and I are to be like this, to live like this. And so I go, man, just like look at our lives. Those of us who are sitting here this morning. Andy, Crystal, look at your lives. Jeremy, Melody, look at your lives. Mike, look at your life. Who are the people in our lives that need Jesus? Todd, Stacy, who are the people in your life that need Jesus? Who are our friends, our coworkers, our family members that need him? Who are the people in our lives that are powerless, that are paralyzed, that need us to carry them to Jesus? And what is keeping us from bringing them to him? Are we crippled with fear? Or are we motivated by knowing what their life will be like when they encounter Jesus? I love this text. My eyes were open this week as I realized that, that maybe the only thing more beautiful than a person bringing someone to Jesus is when a community brings someone to Jesus. You know, this week, <clears throat> just taken back and reminded that we were never meant to, to go through this life alone. We were never meant to do life alone. That he has given us each other as the family, as the body, as the people of God to walk through life together. To share joys, to celebrate with each other and good things. And to walk through the tough things of life together as well. He's given us each other to encourage each other and to love each other. And for us to be in the business of bringing people in Jesus together. You know, what if on Sunday afternoons, as you eat lunch with your family. What if on Tuesday nights when you meet with your house church or on Thursday evenings when you hang out with your friends. What if this was us? What if we did more? What if we became more than just a bunch of people that loved God and loved each other? Though those are incredible things. And in fact, Jesus says those are the most important things. But what if our conversations around the dinner table were like this? Who are the people we know that need Jesus? And how are we as a family? How are we as a house church? How are we as a friend group going to bring them to Jesus? I go, what if our lives were just like the ones we see living out in the scriptures? 
Can you imagine praying with your kids for their friends and their parents that aren't believers? And then as a family, praying and inviting them to church and inviting them over for for lunch after church and then inviting them to be a part of your house church. I go, can you imagine this being your family? Can you imagine praying for a coworker and then inviting them to your house church and then your house church committing to walk with this person until they encounter Jesus? Can you imagine your friend group being united around bringing people to Jesus? I go, man, does this make our heart excited? Are we motivated as the people of God knowing what our aunts and our next door neighbors and our spouses, what their lives will be like when they encounter Jesus? May that move us to action. Verse five. And when King Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. When he saw their faith, when he saw the faith of the community. It's so beautiful that Jesus is not commenting just on what they think. So often we resolve faith down to just some intellectual pursuit. No, Jesus is commenting on what their thinking had led them to do. Now these men believe in Jesus. They believe in his goodness. They believe in his kindness. And that deep belief led them to action. You know, I realized this week how often that, that our actions, they really do reveal what we believe. That our actions reveal what we actually believe. And so I was thinking about Mark and Beth Gent, just an amazing couple in our church. And you look at their lives and you can tell what they believe. They believe in world missions. And you know this because they spend a month every summer in Australia and every chance they get, they, they go to, to help out poor kids all around the world. And in fact, Mark's entire job is built around helping other people go into all the world and serving. And I go, you look at their lives and you know what they believe. Think about my buddy Craig. And Craig's just one of the most kind and loving men I've ever been around. He was my RA uh, freshman year of college. And Craig's a doctor. And I go, you, you can tell what Craig believes by the way that he's chosen to live his life, that he cares about making sick people better. He's an, oriented his entire life around it. And I go, we can go all around the room, but our, our actions reveal what we believe. And these men, they believe in Jesus. And their lives proved it. And I love that Jesus responds to their faith. And so Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says that that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. And I go, man, as, as a people of God, do we have faith? Do we expect God to come through for us, to reward us when we come to him? The words of Jesus to this man are, son, your sins are forgiven. I love that he says son. He doesn't say friend. He doesn't say dude. He doesn't say man. He says son. One of my favorite things to do when I come home from work is to hug and kiss on my little kiddos. And so often um, I come home and I'll pick up Jones and and I see that little rascal on the floor and he smiles at me and I'll pick him up and instead of calling him by his name so often I'll just say "My, my son. I'll just pull him close and kiss him. Son is an inclusive term. 
It's a term of identity, of belonging, of family. Jesus is speaking to this guy, you belong in my family. You're more than a friend, you're a son. And he says to him, your sins are forgiven. You know, Jesus sees deeper and he gives this man what he really needs. He looks into this guy's life and he says, what you really need is not to be healed from your paralysis. He said, what is going on deeper in your life? He says, and it has no connection to your, your physical well-being, but there's something deeper going on in your life. There's this great truth that you have sinned against God. This guy who, who, who came expecting healing, this guy who'd been paralyzed comes to Jesus and Jesus says, son, you've sinned against God, but there's good news because I have come to forgive. I've come to lift every one of your sins. I've come to cleanse you. I've come to restore you back to the relationship that you were intended to have with the father from the very beginning. You know, what a moment for Jesus Christ. The joy and the gladness, can you picture it in the heart of Jesus to get to look this guy in the eye and to give him this incredible gift, the gift that he had come to earth to give him, to give to us. When I was in college, I remember I bought an engagement ring for Courtney and the thing, um, I'd come home and I'd tucked it away in this kind of secret place in my dorm room and Every day after class, I kid you not, every single day, I would come home and I would lock the door and I'd go to that place and I'd pull out the black box and I'd pull out the little box that was inside the black box that held the ring and I would pull that ring off and I'd put it on my pinky like that because she has tiny fingers and it wouldn't fist pack my knuckle. My knuckle, like nussle. <laughs> and I'd put it right there and I would just sit in my dorm room and I would look at it. Don't laugh at me. If you're a guy, you've done the exact same thing. Girls, we spent a lot of money on that. You have no idea. It's like, and I remember just looking at it, and I thought about it every day. I thought about how she'd react. I thought about the smile on her face. And I could not wait to give her that ring and that gift. You know, the joy, though, wasn't just in giving her a piece of jewelry. The joy was that I was going to get to spend the rest of my life with her. And I love in this great story, the joy in the face of Jesus of seeing active, risky faith. And because these men were willing to have faith, Jesus gave these guys the greatest gift that he came to earth to give. He put that ring on their finger. The gift of forgiveness, of life with God forever and ever and ever. John 3, verse 17 has become one of my favorite Bible verses. It says, for God did not send his son, Jesus, into the world to condemn the world, but to what? To save it. Yeah, you guys know it. It's awesome. To save the world. So often when people think of Jesus, when church people think of Jesus, we think of the one who's come to condemn us, to steal our joy. And in fact, it's the very opposite, the one who's come to rescue us bring us into greater places of freedom and joy. And I go, may this be us as a community. May our lives be more than just about coming to church once a week for an hour. May our lives as a family, as a people of God, as a community rallied around Jesus Christ be about bringing people to Jesus and watching Jesus speak these words to people. 
Your sins are forgiven. Verse six. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Teachers of the law, it's the first time we see them in the book of Mark. Essentially, they are experts in the Bible. People who have memorized it and taught it and knew it. And I don't want to spend so much time thinking about them. I want us to look at the beautiful, exploratory nature of the question that Jesus asked these men with doubt. So Jesus sees these guys. He sees deep into their hearts. He sees the doubt, and he just asks them this exploratory question. Why? You know, there are some who are here this morning and you have doubts about who Jesus is. Once you know there's no other place for you on the planet than in this room with these people. We love you. You're always welcome here no matter where you are in your faith journey. There's some that are wrestling with doubts in regards to Jesus. And I think the same question that Jesus poses to these men is the same question that he would pose to you if you're wrestling with doubt. Why? And I don't believe that Jesus' question was accusatory. I don't think it was an accusation. I think it was a question of exploration. Why? What's causing you to doubt? What is at the, the, the very bottom of it? Why do you doubt? Keeps going in verse 9. Which is easier, Jesus says, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? And so from our perspective, it's much easier for Jesus to simply say, your sins are forgiven, right? Because we have no way of seeing if he can actually do it. It's much more difficult for Jesus to tell this paralyzed man to get up, because if Jesus speaks these words and the man doesn't get up, Jesus is exposed, right? And so that's our perspective, but I think Jesus' perspective on this whole story is different. Because he looks at this guy and he says, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up? And I think in Jesus' perspective, it's much more difficult for Jesus to say your sins are forgiven. Because he knows if he forgives this man's sin, Jesus Christ will have to pay for him. Verse 10, Jesus says, but I want you to know one of the most beautiful verses in this story. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I love that verse. Listen to that ethos. I want you to know. Jesus longs for us to know that we can walk in forgiveness right now. That Jesus is both willing and able to give this to us that abundant, forgiven, joyful, meaningful life with God can start now. Forgiven life. Verse 11, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. So he got up. He took his mat and he walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. I want us to notice a couple things 
these last few verses, I want us to notice Jesus' power to heal. May we always be in awe of Jesus and know what he can do, okay? Let's not miss that in this story. I think about the people in my life that I'm praying for healing for right now, and it gives me so much comfort knowing that I'm coming to the one who does heal physically. He, got, he does. He's done it. He'll do it. He, that's who our God is. But also think about the man who was healed physically. Can you imagine the joy of walking after having been bedridden for, how, for who knows how long? Like the simple joy of just being able to put one step in front of the other. <laughs> the joy of being able to get out of bed and to feel your feet. While I can't imagine, can't relate to what this man was experiencing from his physical healing, I can relate to what he was experiencing as he stepped into forgiveness and deep friendship with God. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, one of the things that you need to know from a follower of Jesus is that there is peace and joy that comes from receiving forgiveness from God and walking in friendship with him. A couple of weeks ago, I was having coffee with a guy in our church, and God was just, man, he had just brought this guy to the place of absolute joy and life. And we were sitting there having coffee, and he said, I want to get baptized. And I said, when? He said, right now. Okay, let's go get baptized. Let's do this. And so we came up to the office on a Wednesday morning and we baptized this guy. And he came out, and I kid you not, the very first thing out of his mouth when he came out of the water, he says, There is such a peace that is just sitting on my life right now. And what you need to know is that there is a peace and a joy that comes from stepping into life with God. There is a peace and a joy that comes from knowing that that Jesus Christ died for your sin and he rose again to show that your sin was not far enough to keep God from you. There's peace, there's joy in knowing that the Holy Spirit is in us and with us and refining us and moving in us. There's peace and joy knowing that we will live forever and ever and ever with our maker in heaven and there will be no pain, no suffering, no tears. It will be Jesus Christ and him on the throne with his people gathered around him. So what do we do with this story? Let's end where we began this morning, shall we? Two questions. What is God speaking to you in this text? Where is he inviting you into deeper places of faith and participation? You look at your life And some of you, maybe you relate to the man on the mat. And maybe, just maybe, God is inviting you into more. And so you look at your life and you know your inability to fix yourself, to change yourself. You look at your life and you wrestle with your own powerlessness. But you realize that what you need is King Jesus, Jesus Christ. And your family and your friends your house churches have been bringing you to Jesus over and over and over again. And my question to you is, will you respond to the voice of Jesus that says your sins are forgiven? Now get up and walk. Your sins are forgiven. Now get up and walk. I love the detail in this story that, that Jesus had forgiven and healed this man. But do you realize that he wouldn't have experienced the healing until he got up? Although Jesus healed him, he had to make the choice to get up. Put his feet on the ground to take a step. 
If you're not a follower of Jesus, know this. Jesus did not come to condemn you, but to save you. In all your deepest, darkest sins, he is forgiven. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says that Jesus bore our sins on his body on the cross so that you and I, we might die to sin and live for righteousness because his wounds have healed us. Jesus Christ loves you and he's asking you to trust what he has done for you. You can't fix yourself. You can't forget, for, fix your own sin problem. And he's not asking you to. He's asking you to come to him, surrender your life. Let what he did for you on the cross be enough to cover you. Let him include you in the family of God. Let him speak these words to you. If he's asking, if he's inviting you, if he's speaking to you, then give your life to him today in faith and baptism and start walking in this forgiven, abundant life. Here in just a minute, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. There are going to be some men and women at the red respond banner to my left, to your right. And if you want to get baptized, come up here and someone will talk to you and we'll help you. Some of you, maybe your heart was being stirred by the friends and their willingness to do whatever it took to get this man to Jesus. And I look around this room and I go, man, if you're doing this, keep going. I, I look around this room. I know that there are so many of you. I could uh, just call you out, but I don't want to embarrass you. There are so many of you who are doing this. You are bringing people to Jesus, left and right. You're bringing them to house church. You bring them here. You're baptizing your friends. I mean, all the people that got baptized, it was their friends that were baptized. And did you notice that? I'm going, you guys are doing this. And if this is you, don't lose your fervor. The enemy will come after you. And if he's not already, he's going to come to, to, to disappoint you and to mislead you. But what you need to know is that Jesus Christ has died and rose again. He's on the throne. He's with you. Keep your spiritual fervor. For some of us, if you're not doing this, don't sit in pity and condemnation and fear or laziness. This week, as I was reading this, I was just so condemned because I realized that so often the story of my life is not like these four men. The story of my life is not bringing people to Jesus. I get caught up in, in, in thinking about work and finances and all these other just secondary things, not that they're not important. But I go, man, if, if, if you were convicted this morning, don't sit in pity or condemnation or laziness. Jesus Christ has died and he rose again and he's coming back and he has sent you and he has sent me to bring people to him so that he can free them. Confess where you failed this morning. Break the bread, drink the cup. Confess to whoever you came with. Hey, I've been lazy, I've been selfish, I've taken my eyes off, and then repent. It's the beauty of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We're gonna continue to fail, and the greatest thing is about being a follower of Jesus is that we get to get back, right back up. Two questions as you take communion for those of you who realize that you've not been living into this. Who am I going to bring to Jesus? And who am I gonna get to help me? Who am I gonna bring to Jesus? And who will I get to help me? And some of you, maybe you relate to the man on the mat. Or maybe you relate, sorry, to the teachers of the law. Right now with Jesus, you just have doubts. And I encourage you to wrestle with this question in communion throughout the week. Why? Just explore. If you want to talk to a believer, maybe you came with someone who's a believer. Man, make them take you out to lunch this week. And, and ask them why they believe in God. I'm putting you guys on the spot. That's what happens when you're following Jesus. Too bad. <laughs> Ask them. And if you came by yourself and you have doubts, come up front. There are men and women up here. We would love to meet with you throughout this week. I'd love to meet with you and talk to you. There's nothing that we long more than for Jesus to set you free.